everybody. Welcome to Hidden Gems Podcast. We're so excited to be here to be talking about Disney Plus. This is our ninth episode of Disney Plus for Hidden Gems. Can you believe it? Yeah, nine. Like, and uh, and we're actually going back to uh, we're going back to the streaming service that got this whole crazy ride started in the first place. So I feel a special sort of nostalgia, you know, every time uh, we go back to Disney Plus. Uh, it's like it's like we're coming home. We're coming yeah. home. Tell the world we're coming home. <laughs> yeah. When I when I first suggested to Ryan, my lovely co-host, I, that we do this i was literally thinking hey we can do this for a couple of weeks while things are closed down <laughs> it'll be fun <laughs> six months later yeah, that's right. now it's november what's happened but oh i but i'm but i'm a big believer in where there's chaos comes opportunity and in a weird roundabout way if this whole coronavirus thing hadn't happened I wouldn't have become as good of friends with you, Rachel, as yeah. I would. And you certainly wouldn't have invited me to as many watch-alongs and podcasts outside of this one to do with you. So it, in a weird roundabout way, this whole this whole coronavirus business has been very beneficial to me in, in more ways than one. And again, not trying to get a big head or saying, I'm doing better than everyone else. No, I, that's not my intention. But yeah. I'm just without getting too personal things have actually been going very well for me since this whole thing got started so with, with everything else in mind of people are still struggling and all that everything's coming up roses and daffodils for me that's great i think that that's that's a really healthy attitude to have in life is to even in challenges to look for the blessings the the hidden gems as we might say uh in our lives and yeah it's been a great it's been uh, i've i've had my share of blessings as well that i would never have been able to do if it wasn't uh and i've learned a lot uh, and this has been a great great experience something I look forward to every Monday so that we record and so we thought of doing Disney plus this week because of the Mandalorian season two debuted and one thing before we give our thoughts is I just wanted to share my friend Sherry uh, she was greatly looking forward to seeing uh, the Mandalorian season two premiere she even tweeted about it that uh, she would be up and at midnight ready to go to watch it unfortunately she passed away in September and uh, I I just I, when I was watching it I just was kind of watching it in her honor that uh, that I just knew how excited she would be and uh, so I I'm gonna put in the description if anybody has an extra means and wants to help uh, her friends that are uh, trying to see to her end of life uh, situation. Um, there's GoFundMe and uh, they would definitely really, really appreciate it. And she was a really good person. So uh, I put that in the description, but I was thinking about Sherry as I watched. So it was kind of poignant for me to watch it. Um, and uh, so uh, as far as the Mandalorian, Ryan, what were your thoughts about season one going into it? Did you love season one? Uh, were you, yeah, what was your thoughts? So I should give a little bit of context before I do, uh, 
before I do dive into my season one thoughts, because my love of Star Wars was was in a bit of flux when that first episode dropped. Uh, I was very conflicted on The Last Jedi. I've now flown on the side of it's not that great. And, and Solo really left nothing for me to desire. And I think the Rise of Skywalker trailer dropped around that same time. And I was getting very bad feelings. So my feelings on Star Wars was down in the doldrums. But I, the Mandalorian, and I still hold this belief, is the thing that's keeping me a Star Wars fan. It's, it, and, and I just want to get this out of the way right here and now. I'm not trying to gatekeep in any form or fashion. If you all like the sequels, God bless you, more power to you. But for me, when I watch The Mandalorian, I'm like, this is all I need. Like, forget the movies. Like, as long as they keep doing this, I'll support Disney every day of the week and twice on Sunday because... It, it was quite excellent. Uh, I've been a Dave Filoni guy for a very long time. He's one of the main creative forces. John Favreau, I mean, we all know who he is. He's had his misses, but he's also had his big hits as well. And Taika Waititi had a lot of input in there as well. And he has the Midas touch. He can do no wrong. Combined the acting talents of Pedro Pascal and Carl Weathers and Giancarlo Esposito and Gina Carano and... You just have, and Baby Yoda, of course, and you just have like what I wanted from a Star Wars television show. I had a picture in my mind of what I wanted, and The Mandalorian was about as close as it's probably ever going to get. And I don't know how you feel about it, Rachel, but for me, it it holds a special place in my heart because after... Um, because after Rise of Skywalker, I wanted to grab my VHSs of the original unedited trilogy and burn them in my backyard. The only thing that kept me from doing that was The Mandalorian. And thankfully, and we'll talk about season two, but season two has stuck to that trend. Yeah, so it was interesting. Last year, I I didn't watch it right when it came out because I was thick in Christmas world. Uh, and so I watched it at, in like... January or February uh, after there had been a lot of hype and I had of course seen baby Yoda because I don't live in a cave and uh, and thought that was cute but there'd been quite a bit of hype which is always risky uh, but I saw it and I really enjoyed it I thought it was incredible how they were able to get so much personality and character out of a character that you don't see the face for 99.9% of the show of the first season. And I, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. You named off a lot of people that were involved. They were making it uh, good. Uh, but Dave Filoni in particular, I think he understands Star Wars, at least in the same way that I understand Star Wars. I loved Rebels. I thought that was a great show with great characters and beautiful animation. And then here he has the Mandalorian. I, I think it was very, very, very entertaining. There was one episode uh, I um, the in the middle that I didn't, love. but um, but for the I most think part, I know I think I know the episode you're talking about. I think it was the one with Bill Burr in it, and yeah. I and I love Bill Burr, but I think it was more of like let's have Bill Burr in Star Wars. Let's make him part of the canon. And yeah. And outside of that, like, it was just a one-off. Right. And uh, so oh, uh, overall, I really enjoyed the show. And I thought it felt like authentic and didn't feel a need to kind of 
I lean into messaging. It was just telling these stories and it trusted the characters to tell the stories. So now we get to season two, uh, episode one. And I think this did a really good job for starting out the new season. Uh, you definitely got a sense of tone and atmosphere, which I think is so important in anything that's Star Wars. And the best Star Wars do such a good job of creating atmosphere. And Empire Strikes Back in particular is really great at that. And, uh, and you have just this feel of a Western that uh, was so fun and particularly I thought it was so brilliant bringing Timothy Oliphant in who has done westerns in his career Deadwood and shows like that and he just has such a great personality for a western so brilliant to bring him in and uh and this um kind of sheriff type kind of then you have the outlaws and the and everything kind of going on and uh, yeah, I thought it was really good. And they thought they used just enough Baby Yoda. I was worried they were going to lean into that too much because it was so popular. But uh, yeah, what, what were your thoughts on this return? Well, a little Baby Yoda goes a long way. So let's yeah. keep that in mind. But yeah. I actually have a full review of this episode on my channel, which the channel link will be in the description. Hashtag cheap plug. <laughs> but just to summarize that into like an elevator pitch, this episode reminded me a lot of a lot of the old Clint Eastwood westerns mm -hmm. that I watched growing up, like Pale Rider or the outlaw Josie Wales. Timothy Oliphant looks so much like Clint Eastwood, like looking at like a side by side of them, you'd be like, they must be like related or like distant cousins or something. Because Oliphant was born to be in westerns or around westerns because he fits like a glove in there. And there's enough Star Wars elements to, to like have the mainstream appeal, but once you get into the meat of the episode, it's got a great message. There's some pretty good one-liners in there. Like there's this one where, uh, where these Tusken Raiders get eaten by the sandworm from Doom. I know it er, from Dune. I know there's an elaborate name for this creature, but I, it looked like a sandworm to me. And when the Tusken Raiders get eaten, the Mandalorian turns to Oliphant and is like, the Tuscan Raiders are open to fresh ideas. <laughs> so that stuff I just found really funny. Yeah, and then it was fun. And then Ludwig Gerenson's score, which I, I still maintain is very good at his job as long as he is not directing any Nolan movies that rhyme with Pennant. <laughs> like his score is excellent. Yeah. And my one hang up about this episode is involving a certain character that appears at the end in a way that I'm not sure where they're going with it. I have trust. I'm reaching out my hand to Dave Filoni and John Favreau saying, please lead me on and do not lead me astray, but I am worried. And yeah. if you look into any bit of the extended lore, you'll probably know why. <laughs> yeah, well, and also I think the whole idea of bringing them back to Tatooine, I was kind of like, uh, do we really need to do that? But hopefully it'll all pay off. It'll be all be worth it. Yeah, well, Tatooine is kind of is kind of like a staple of Star Wars. You gotta have it. You gotta have Tatooine in there at least once in order to, in order for it to be truly a Star Wars joint. I I agree, Rachel. I would like if they explored new places, but 
you know, Tatooine's like the home base. I mean, as mm-hmm. I, I'm just glad they didn't like pick a desert planet and give it a different name, like The Force Awakens. Like it's Jakku, or, like it's Tatooine. Come on, people. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Oh, it was a different time. It was a, it was a, it was a, an innocent time. For, uh, all right. I well, was younger then. Yeah. Take me back to when we found weekend jobs when we got paid we buy cheap spirits and drink them straight very good okay well let's do our recommendations for diving a little deep once you've watched the mandalorian multiple times you're going to need something else to watch we're here for you we've got your deeper cuts your deeper dives and so my first choice is kind of i was i've kind of made this list thinking uh, i was in halloween mode when i made this list so it's sort of influenced there but my first choice is toy story of terror this is a 40 minute short i believe uh and it's really well done it's a great way to introduce your kids to sort of the tropes of the universal monster movies with the creaking state floor, you know, and the, uh, and the mummy and the, uh, the, you know, kind of things and all of that really fun. And also it has Jesse, uh, dealing with her claustrophobia and some of her other issues. And I think it would be a great way if you're having, uh, kids that are afraid of the dark or afraid of anything that this would be a good thing to watch and have a conversation with about jesse and her fears uh so it's really it's really well done and if you do get this is not on disney plus i don't think but if you get if you have the um blu-ray there's some really fun behind the scenes uh featurettes of toy Story of terror so if you're a f- physical media person that's pretty fun uh but uh what about you what's your first first choice so my first choice is and this is going into a oh, bit of a gray area because every every person that I talk about this movie with ten, tends to really love it. So it's walking a tightrope, but I'm going to consider it a hidden gem anyway, and it is The Mighty Ducks. Uh, this is from 1992, starred Emilio Estevez, and, and he was a staple of the late 80s and early 90s. He was in Breakfast Club and a ton of other movies. It tells the story of a lawyer who is really good at his job until one night when he gets caught driving drunk. And his penance is that he has to do community service by coaching a really bad hockey team, like really bad. Which in 2020 eyes is kind of funny. Like you're, you're, you're DUI. We're going to put you with children. (laughs) You have, you have, you have anger issues. We're going to have you coach hockey. (laughs) That wouldn't fly today. It's no, it wouldn't. It would it's hilarious. <laughs> it's it, the Mighty Ducks. It, Disney tends to do sports movies very well. Even the kind mm-hmm. of mediocre ones are still entertaining. And I get why people wouldn't like the Mighty Ducks. It is a little cheesy, and it does go into the underdog sports movie tropes. But I watched this movie at the right age because I actually rewatched it recently, and I absolutely loved it. Um, Emilio Estevez is a lot of fun. He starts out as, you know, the super arrogant lawyer, but then by the end, he sees the error of his ways and he becomes a very nice guy. He actually has a lot of funny moments too. Like in that first game, he has this whole bottle of 
of calming pills and by the end it's empty. I'm sure we've all, we've all been there. And then following that, it has one of my, a couple of my favorite scenes in the movie where he's yelling at the kids. You're like, you suck, you're horrible. And then one of the kids is like, he's like, why the hell won't you kids listen to me? And one of the kids is like, then why the hell should we? And they just turn and leave. And, and he's like, fine, walk away. You guys are the idiots. And then he turns and he sees his old hockey coach and he's like, Hans. And then he goes to go after him and Hans just disappears. And then he goes and finds him in his old, in his old shop and he finds the skates and he learns how to skate again. And the music combined with the lack of dialogue and the whole backstory of this, of, of Emilio Estefes's character botched the goal of the final game of him as a hockey player. It's just long-term storytelling that I just really appreciate. And you wouldn't expect from a movie called The Mighty Ducks, but I think this movie has a lot of good storytelling elements that is definitely underappreciated. That's why I think it's a hidden gem. I enjoy this too. I have this for family movie night if people want to hear more of my thoughts. But this is classic of the 90s where they would have kind of this troop of kids in a movie, whether it's The Sandlot or Hook or Mighty Ducks or Heavyweights or just whatever. It, they, they would have this sort of group and there was usually one nerd and Newsies would be another one. There was like one nerdy one, one fat one, one, one tom girl, one. <laughs> there is a collection of archetypes, and uh, and this is definitely another one of those. But it's it's executed well. It's fun. It's maybe not Sandlot good, but it's entertaining and enjoyable. And uh, so yeah, I like it. I think it's a good choice. Yeah, it it has one. It has one of my it, it has one of my most anger inducing scenes in there too when in the championship game, uh, there's this one player who was on the opposing team, but then through a technical error, ended up on the Mighty Ducks, uh, Adam Banks. And he's playing, he's doing really well. And then he gets cross-checked really hard by his former teammate. And and another one of his former teammates goes to check on him. And he, and he looks up at the, the kid who cross-checked him and he's like, what are you doing? And he just looks at him and he just says, my job. Every time I'm like, hate you. It, it's it's one of those blood boiling moments that that just it gets me every time. No matter how many times I see this movie, I just want to punch that kid. But that's yeah. neither here nor there. <laughs> he is a brat. There's no doubt about it. Uh, so that's a good one. All right. Well, my next choice it might surprise people, but I think it's an interesting experience for kids to look at different versions of the same story and compare contrast it's just that most of the time i don't like the live action remakes because i feel like they're so much worse (laughs) um, than the original and the way that they're kind of marketed and sold is as a replacement for the original Um, and so i actually didn't mind the 2019 Lady and the Tramp. And one of the things that I I liked about it is that I think that Lady and the Tramp is uh, out of the Disney canon films, I think aside from this meatball scene, 
is kind of underrated. I feel like people don't really talk about it. People don't really have, it's not like the Renaissance films or something like that, where people have a ton of nostalgia for it. People talk about it a lot. And so I think that this version of Lady and the Tramp could actually help introduce people to the original classic and, uh, and that they could then watch both of them. And I think that this is decent and it, it makes a few changes I liked uh, as far as with the Siamese cats and some of the other stuff. And I liked the, the, the dog and the cat. Were, I mean, the, 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 the two dogs and then the cats and all the animals are super cute. Uh, I, I think that uh, they still didn't really solve the problem with Aunt Sarah because it's sort of weird that they that they bring Aunt Sarah in and kind of trick her that she's going to be watching the baby, but she's really not. And I like, why would you want somebody watching your dog who didn't like dogs? Like that's strange, but <laughs> nevertheless, I thought this movie was sweet and harmless and the production values and the costumes and everything were, were well done. And I guess I give it a little more of a pass than these other live action remakes. Like I said, because I feel like this is one that, that could lead people to actually watch the animated classic. And I think not enough people do, not enough people talk about the animated classic. Yeah, I stayed far away from this movie because of the reputation of the live action remakes. And I like a couple of them. I like The Jungle Book. I thought that mm -hmm. was very well done. Funny enough, we're going to be talking about Jon Favreau relatively soon mm -hmm. and other movies like that. but. Just Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, and just, I, I was so done with it. And Terrible. so when I heard this was going to be made, I'm like, coming up next, a live action remake of The Black Hole. Actually, doesn't that doesn't sound too bad now that I'm thinking <laughs> about it. But I was yeah, just- a, so a good remake should highlight or introduce people to the, to the classic film. It's remaking, not try to, uh, try to supplant and compare and improve upon the original yeah a, a good example of that would probably be the prince of egypt and the ten commandments the mm -hmm. ten commandments was this big live action live action epic of a bible story and the prince of egypt was a was a grand animated movie it's mm -hmm. telling the same story essentially, yeah. essentially but it's offering two different perspectives yeah. in two different mediums. They have the same yeah. bones, but different skin and different makeups, yeah. if you want That's to call right. it. Or um, you've got mail and shop around the corner. Shop around the corner is like letters and they work together versus you've got mail, which is an online relationship. And then they, they're actually business enemies, foes. So it's like taking a modern perspective to the same story. And, uh, and so it really works. Uh, so what's your next pick? So my next pick is from 1975, and it is called The Strongest Man in the World. For some strange reason, in the mid-1970s, Disney released a bunch of movies with Kurt Russell as the star with insane premise, premises. One of them was The Strongest Man in the World. And uh, this is one of my father's favorites, so I was introduced to this very early. Uh, it tells the story of a high school student named Dexter Riley, played by Russell, who he, along with his friends, invent a strength formula. 
and Dexter takes it and he becomes, well, the strongest man in the world. He can bend telephone poles and rips the shoelaces off his shoes, which when, when I started losing weight and actually got biceps, I was thinking, I can do that. I can't. I really, really, really can't. But neither here nor there. Uh, I love this movie because, yeah, it's very cheesy. It is a product of its time, but even still, it's got a lot of laughs in it. It's got a lot of a lot of big com- big comedians of the time. Uh, Kurt Russell, we all know who he is. He's still acting to this day. He's going to be in Christmas Chronicles two coming up in a couple of weeks. So he's had a long career. Uh, Joe Flynn plays Dean Higgins, who was in The Rescuers, and The Rescuers was actually the last movie he ever made. And soon after he Soon after he filmed that, he ended up dying of a heart attack, which is rather unfortunate. But he was a perfect foil as Dean Higgins, this very strung out Dean who was just so sick of the science program. But as soon as he sees the strength formula and he sees dollar signs and he's like, oh, I love the science program. I've always loved it. And he's a lot of fun. Cesar Romero was in it, who was the Joker in the 1966 Batman with Adam West. He's not as manic as he is in that show, but he's a lot of fun here. Uh, Phil Silvers, a legendary comedic actor in one of my favorite comedies, A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. So this has a lot of of great comedians of the day. And it's definitely not the funniest movie ever made, but it's one of my personal favorites. Nobody really talks about the unofficial Kurt Russell Disney Cinematic Universe, and I think they should. Yeah, I actually haven't seen this, believe it or not. Uh, so I appreciate the recommendation. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, a couple, a, of the other, a couple of the other ones involving Kurt Russell are the computer where the computer wore tennis shoes. Mm-hmm. And now you see me, now you don't, where he turns into super, he becomes super smart and he turns in, invisible respectively. Ah. So Disney was subtly remaking the classic <laughs> monster movies, but with Kurt Russell in it. There you go. Well, speaking of remakes, that seemed to be on my mind, I guess, because my next choice is uh, Freaky Friday. And this is a remake of, well, actually, they have both of them on Disney Plus, the uh, original Freaky Friday and the remake. I think it's a really solid remake from 2003. Uh, This is, I love body swapping stories, body swapping movies. And this is, you have the mother and daughter swapping bodies. And this is Lindsay Lohan and Jamie Lee Curtis. And I think that particularly Jamie Lee Curtis does a good job of having this teenager and her body kind of role pretty funny and uh, her her acting and uh, it's I don't know it's just overall it's funny it's sweet and all everybody's uh, all up to to play and enjoy it and uh, so I and I like the like I said I like the original as well. There's a musical which I'm told is really fun live, like on Broadway. It's really fun the musical, but the translation to the Disney Channel original movie did not work. And there's some really strange things in that that musical, uh, like an entire song about how parents lie, parents lie to kids. It's really it's a weird movie. Um, I can't say I recommend that one, but uh, but the other two I definitely recommend. 
Yeah, I remember seeing this, uh, the 2003 version on Disney Channel, like one late night, and I really enjoyed it. Haven't seen it in a very long time, yeah. so I'll definitely have to take a look at it again. But this was my introduction to Jamie Lee Curtis before I saw her in Halloween or The Fog or any anything like that. It was this movie and then, unfortunately, Christmas with the Cranks, but I'll save that rant for another time. <laughs> there but, we go. All right, what's your next pick? So my next pick is from 2014. And in our live stream the other night, I sort of, I brought this up and it turned out to be one of my recommendations. It was The Fault in Our Stars. Uh, this was directed by John Green, one of the vlog brothers on YouTube. So by by proxy, I like, I like it already, you know, support your fellow YouTuber and all that. Uh, and it starred Shailene Woodley and... Ansel Elgort. I was going to say Alden Ehrenreich, but they're two completely different people. Uh, yeah. This movie tells the story of a young girl who it who is going to die. She has, I, I can't remember the exact name of the disease, but her lungs are slowly filling with fluid and she is going to die somewhere down the line. But against her will, she goes to this young people's cancer group and she meets Ansel Elgort's character and the two begin a relationship and then they soon fall in love with each other. I have a bit of a bias towards this movie because I remember reading the book long before I saw this movie. So when I heard that this was going to be made into a movie, I was like, yes. But then I was like, oh, this could be bad too. But thankfully, this was actually, this was actually about as good an adaptation of this movie as you could probably get. Uh, Shailene Woodley, is very good in this. Unfortunately, she was involved in those Divergent movies that killed the YA teen drama movie movement as we know it. But she was really good in this, at least. Uh, Ansel Elgort I really liked. Uh, Laura Dern is in it. She's always great in no matter what she is in. Uh, even Willem Dafoe was a very bitter author, but I'll save that for when you actually see it. He's a lot of fun as well. And, oh wait, actually, this was directed by Josh Boone, not Josh Green. Yeah, so I didn't say anything yesterday, uh, but we all have our unpopular opinions. And <laughs> Fault in Our Stars is actually kind of notoriously one of my unpopular opinions. When I wrote my review on my blog, it was kind of one of the first times that I really had a very unpopular opinion on my blog. And uh, I, I, I think that it is a good movie in certain ways, but I hated William Defoe's character a lot. I thought that he was so over the top and so hateful and so awful when he's like telling him they should just go and die. And I was just thinking, I mean, like right around when that happened, there had been a Make-A-Wish thing where where Ina Garten had not found time in her schedule or whatever for some uh, Make-A-Wish kids. And she was like totally demonized for doing that. And like, oh, you're so, you're such a diva or whatever. Let, I can't even imagine what would happen if a real author literally told these Make-A-Wish kids that they just should go home and die. I don't know. It's just like, come on. I mean, anybody would, would, I, I just don't believe that anybody would really behave that way. And especially then when he comes back 
to the funeral, I was just, I wanted to like spit in his face. I thought he was so horrible. I hated him. And uh, it really kind of soured the movie for me. And I was really annoyed with it after I first saw it. I haven't seen it in years and years. And I, I know that it's like I said, everyone has unpopular opinions. That's one of mine. Um, but I know that uh, a lot, there are a lot of strengths to the, the movie. I just hated that character. I, I can understand that and let the record reflect that I'm not defending the author character. I'm defending Willem Dafoe's performance. And mm-hmm. when, I, when I first initially read it and when I saw Willem Dafoe cast in it, I'm like, that's perfect right there. So yeah. I'm not defending the author. I'm defending the casting choice. Fair. But let, let, let the record reflect that. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, so my next pick and this is definitely a stretch for a hidden gem, but I think a lot of people don't realize that the X-Men movies are back on Disney Plus. And as so I thought it'd be fun to talk a little bit about X2, which I, I think maybe doesn't get the credit it deserves for being a really good X-Men movie. I mean, it, it's arguably the best. I mean, if you're not counting, I haven't seen Logan, but I know everybody loves Logan, but uh, this movie, I think it without a doubt does the Jean Grey story the best by far. And then they kind of ruin it in the third one. But I, I think that uh, Famke Jensen's uh, performance is really good as Jean Grey and the ending with her sacrifice. I think it's very moving. I think the Hugh Jackman's really good as Wolverine. I like Rogue in this. I mean, there's some cringy parts with storm that aren't great there's a few parts that aren't the best but overall the whole idea of the it really captures well the whole idea of the mutants versus the non-mutants and being different and excluded and how are we right you know we racist and and uh, excluding people and and all of that that there there's a strong metaphor to the x-men films when they're done right and it seems like about every other one is done right. And then there's really bad ones. Uh, so I don't know. What do you think about X2? First of all, I'm going to be sending you my Blu-ray of Logan because you need to get on that right now <laughs> after you finish watching those 11.75 million Christmas movies you got to review Deal. because it's your job and all that. But <laughs> side note, X2 is definitely the best of the original X-Men series, like from 2000 up to X-Men First Class. Uh, I think it's the one that has aged the best. There's there's a lot of really, really good fight scenes in there, like the battle between Wolverine and Deathstrike. That's a chef's kiss right there. Hugh Jackman, I mean, he's awesome in this role. He has been and always will be. Uh, An inspired casting choice, by casting Brian Cox as Colonel William Stryker, another chef's kiss right there. That casting person deserves a raise right there. And yeah, this is this is a movie that has a lot of really good stuff in there. There's a lot of scenes where even to this day, I just am like, I'm like outraged by like the scene where Bobby comes out to his family that he's a mutant. Oh yeah, that's um, good. And the mom is like, have you tried not being a mutant? I'm like, He's bearing your he's bearing his soul to you and all you can say is that like get that stuff out of here. I yeah. say a lot worse, but this is a family podcast. So 
there that is. That, yeah. yeah, there's a lot, it, this makes me feel the most. Like the first one, the first X-Men proved that this type of story can be done. X2 proved that it can be done very well. Last Stand, I don't hate, but see why people dislike it. Origins Wolverine is totally horrible. Like whenever someone says, oh, Dark Phoenix or X-Men Apocalypse is the worst X-Men movie ever made. <laughs> Lol, X-Men Origins Wolverine. I will never forgive them for not giving Deadpool a mouse, but that's another rant for another time. <laughs> Out of all of the 2000s era X-Men movies from X-Men through Origins, this is the best one. Agreed. Uh, so, all right, what's your next pick? So my next pick is, I believe, also from 2000, and it's from 2002, and it is called The Rookie. Uh, this was directed by John Lee Hancock, who would also go on to direct The Founder, which I've praised enough times on this podcast by itself. And it stars Dennis Quaid as a, as a baseball coach at a high school who is also a teacher. He is incredibly talented. He throws a heck of a pitch, but through through a lot of real life reasons, he never got to the MLB. Instead, he just had to live a pretty normal life. He seems very satisfied. He has a loving wife and kids and all that, and that's great, but he's always had that itch that he's always wanted to scratch. Well, the movie basically tells a story about how he experiences the resurgence of his throwing arm and how he ends up, long story short, making it to the to the major leagues. And it's kind of like Rudy, but it, instead of football, it's baseball. Uh, Dennis Quaid is awesome in literally anything that he's in, and he is the beating heart of this movie. One of my favorite scenes of this movie is when he stops off by the side of a road and he's like, I wonder if I can throw as good as I can. And he finds this speed trap, you know, on the side of the road where it's like, your speed is 35 miles an hour. He grabs a ball, he throws it past, and it's like 25. And he's like, oh, I guess not. And he so goes, picks up the ball, goes to leaves. But then as soon as he leaves, the thing flickers and it says 85 miles an hour. So, so he, so he knows but he still knows that he's got what it takes. And it's a very inspirational story. It's a Disney sports movie. So of course, it's going to be a very inspirational story. Very well acted, very well directed. Just go see it if you haven't. I agree. I think this is really good. It's uh, a does quite as great in it. I, uh, I don't know off the top of my head, but I, I remember liking who plays his wife um, in it. I thought, she was good and i i don't know just the whole family uh and him kind of proving that he could still uh still make it is just a really heartwarming story so i agree with you on the rookie i think it's really good all right well my last recommendation i guess i was just in literally every single one of my picks is either a sequel or a remake so that was just on my on my brain but my pick is ever after and this is another retelling of the cinderella story and i love cinderella and this is one of the best you could argue the best i still would pick the animated classic but this is definitely without a doubt the best live action version of cinderella and uh and that i love silver and the rose i love the 2015 
Cinderella. So that's saying a lot. This is, I just love it. I love Angelica Houston as the wicked stepmother, Baroness von Degent. Degent. Um, I love Ray Scott as the prince. This is a very like thinking person, Cinderella. They like discuss Utopia and Thomas More and they like have their dates out at the uh, library that's for some reason outside, which I don't know. I think that's probably not a good place to have books but nevertheless it's really romantic and you have da vinci as the fairy godmother to character which is really charming and fun and she is like saving servants from getting sold and uh she's she's she rescues herself at the end which is very great and it's just so well done and I love it. And I love Drew Barrymore in this role. I love the, the ball scene is, is really great. Uh, and she shows up in this, um, uh, this, uh, her mother's dress. That's like this silver dress with these wings on it. And she's like, just breathe. And it's really good. Uh, so I love it. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, I would give it a extremely high score. I think it's just about perfect as far as what it's trying to be and what it is. And I love it. I think they have great chemistry. So yeah, you got to see ever after. It's so good. Yeah. This is a movie that I always heard about as like the best Cinderella adaptations ever, but I, I never really saw it. So, but now it's on Disney plus. So I really don't have an excuse. And I started out my one of the very first series I ever did on my channel. This is like way back in 2015. I did was a whole series on Cinderella where I reviewed the animated classic. I reviewed the uh, the slipper in the rose, the glass slipper, uh, ever after Cinderella, and uh, I did a whole persuasive essay on why why Cinderella is actually a feminist character. So I love Cinderella and <laughs> uh, so check all that out. If you look, I have a whole playlist on my channel, just Cinderella. <laughs> um, so what's your last pick? So my last pick is from 2007 and it is High School Musical 2. I think in one of the earlier episodes, I recommended the original High School Musical. Well, now it's time to recommend the sequel because I love all the high school musical movies equally. I get it. They're very much Disney Channel movies and, you know, they're, they are what they are, but I grew up at the right time and in the right niche for it. And, and I absolutely love all of these movies. They are of equal quality for me. Uh, this movie does what I would want most sequels to do. Give us the same characters, but present them with new challenges. Uh, in the case of High School Musical 2, School's out for the summer, in the words of the wise philosopher Alice Cooper. And uh, all of the uh, all of the main kids, Troy, Gabriella, uh, and et cetera, they all get hired on at this very posh country club. And a lot of them all have to work, while Troy ends up getting a lot of good opportunities and slowly begins to isolate himself from the rest. And I'll leave you all to mm -hmm. fill in the rest from there. Uh, yeah this one is really fun i don't think any of the songs are quite as memorable as in the first film but i think uh the choreography is still f really fun and the whole new sort of new setting that they do and i think this one sharpay is a really uh enjoyable character uh she uh, i don't know she's i think it's, it's maybe maybe her best one of all the three 
Yeah. And in terms of the music, I it's definitely not as iconic as the original, but there are definitely a couple of songs that I would put up against the songs from the original, like You Are the Music and Me, that's an excellent song. And then Bet on It, which is great choreography in there as well. I mean, it's directed by Kenny Ortega. So of course it's going to it's going to have some excellent choreography in there. And and there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff in there. There's a lot of new challenges like like Troy ends up ends up getting on on the basketball team that he has always wanted to go to. And and it's like, well, if you don't have your friends, then what is it all really for? And there's another excellent number between Chad and Sharpay's brother, which I'm now forgetting, Ryan, uh, Chad and Ryan. It takes place on a bat on a baseball diamond. And to say that I watched it half a billion times when I was younger, just that song number over and over and over again is an understatement. I watched that thing constantly. Like I can recite it to you from memory, from the opening shot to the final shot. This is a movie that's very close to my heart. I watched it at the premiere and it's one of those movies that has just always stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really fun. Good choice. So there we go. That is our recommendations for you for Hidden Gems this week for Disney+. Plus. Let us know what you have been watching on Disney+, Plus and what you thought of the Mandalorian premiere. We would love to hear your thoughts on these and any of the, any other films you've been watching. And uh, Ryan, where can people find you? They can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at RyanCam20. Then there's, of course, my YouTube channel, Just Ryan Cam. Uh, today is a Monday, which means that my episode for the AFI project on Midnight Cowboy has dropped. On Wednesday, I'll be dropping my episode for the Philadelphia story. And then mm-hmm. on Friday, I'll be dropping my episode on, let me check my list, uh, Shane, the classic Western and one of my all-time favorites. And then, like I said, when we were talking about The Mandalorian, I'll be reviewing every episode of The Mandalorian Season 2 as it drops, and that's going to be Friday mornings. So look forward to that as well. And if you all haven't subscribed to me, I humbly ask that you please do. I put a lot of time into it. I'm very proud of it. So go check it out. Yes, you should all subscribe. It's really good stuff. So you can find me at Rachel's Reviews, all of our social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes. So please check that out. Also, the Hallmarkies podcast got so much content coming out this week over there with interviews and uh, analysis and all kinds of fun stuff. It's been a really strong start for Hallmark. So make sure that you're checking out the Hallmarkies podcast. And uh, so thanks so much, everybody. And please consider our Patreon, which has a lot of fun perks. And all that information is in the description. We'll also have our merch store with many, many festive designs. And I'd love for you to check that out. And so thanks so much. And we'll talk to you all later. Bye, everyone. Bye.